What's going on, folks? Rich here, producer of the Gamify Everything Beyond the Metaverse podcast. Just wanted to put a quick disclaimer on this episode due to some audio issues that occurred with the audience participation portion of the podcast. Unfortunately, some of the audience members' audio was not picked up, and it resulted in some large, large dead portions of audio throughout the conversation, which we have edited out. Unfortunately, it's going to make for some weird jump cuts throughout the conversation, but we did not want to scrap this episode because there's a lot of vital and important information that we wanted all of you to still enjoy and consume. Nonetheless, we wanted to put this disclaimer to let you know of what to expect in this podcast, and if anything seems a little weird, it is because we had to edit out those portions of the audience participation uh, segment of the podcast. Without any further ado... We're going to turn it over to Marcus and this week's guest for a brand new episode of the Gamify Everything Beyond the Metaverse podcast. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to the Gamify Everything Beyond the Metaverse podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Howard, and I'm joined by Bex. Bex, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your second episode. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> It's ironic. You and I had chatted uh, back in the end of last year about us having a conversation. And uh, you've got a great program. And we'll, we'll dive into that in a little bit. But, uh, I, you know, I was working full time as a coder before I got into blockchain gaming, the metaverse space full time. So it's great. We can make this happen now. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, what an incredible, exciting time for anyone that's in this space. And I think, you know, I think if last year was kind of the warm up, I think 2022 is going to be the real game changer. I think we're going to see a lot of adoption. We're going to see a lot of um, more wider stream interest into lots of different areas within blockchain gaming, within the NFTs and the metaverse, everything. And it's and Web3. And I think it's, I'm so excited that, that I'm in it now, which is really, which is, you know, brilliant from, from my end. It's something new and exciting. And I think it gives a lot of people hope as well, which is great. I'm excited. I think there's there's a lot of um, utopian opportunity. I'm still I still have some dystopian concerns, and we'll, we'll dive into that a bit. Uh, but I, I want to get some housekeeping stuff done. This is uh, sponsored by and powered by Gamify. It's an IDO platform for launching products in the blockchain gaming and the metaverse and, and esports. So if you all are new to the podcast, both on LinkedIn or Discord, if you're in Discord, obviously you know what the deal is because you're already here, but you can find out more at www.gamify.gg. That's G-A-M-I-F-I dot G-G. So without further ado, Bex, can you bring people up to speed about uh, your background leading up to crypto? And, and more importantly, like what inspired you to get into crypto? What was that moment, that aha moment? And then furthermore, how did that help you evolve into Nifty World? Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Marcus. Yeah, absolutely. So it's all started really last year. So we all know, I think, in general, that the pandemic has sped up a lot of movement within to this space in general. And for me, I've spent the last over a decade as a broadcaster here in the UK. So I've worked as a film critic, occasionally cover covering tech as well. It's always been a real interest of mine, being a tech expert on a number of different channels, uh, mainly just consumer tech. But I always keep my ears and eyes to the ground about stuff that's going on within the crypto world as well. Early in 2021, I actually started investing in, in physical art. 
and started speaking to art advisors, started speaking to, you know, the opportunities there. And I stumbled across in a very well-respected paper that we have here in the UK called the Sunday Times. There was an article about NFTs and how it was going to change the way for artists. And it got me thinking and it, it made me kind of go, oh, tech and art, two things I'm very, very interested in. Um, how is that going to work? Now, I read that article and I didn't do anything about it. That must have been in about February time <laughs> last year. And I just kind of sat on it for a while, but it was niggling at the back of my brain. And throughout the the following months after that, I actually started investing in stocks and playing the stock market a little bit and just thinking, how else can I kind of get involved in doing things beyond what my traditional scope of work is? The investing in stocks, I did it, I did quite well quite early on. I thought, oh, this is quite interesting. I joined Clubhouse. I was listening to lots of people talk about what the next thing is there. They then started talking about crypto. I started learning a little bit more. I tried to teach myself how to read the candlestick graphs and things like that and realize it's not my forte at all. And then I, um, I, I did what a lot of people do when they're trying to get started in a new place. Um, I went on YouTube and tried to find out a little bit more about this, this merging of art and, and digital technology and ownership and started to see the few and far between information about the world of NFTs. And um, I was actually renovating a property at the time. And as I was doing that, I was listening to podcasts and I was listening to YouTube videos and just building up my knowledge. And then there was one video which said, how can you earn a living from NFTs without having to spend lots of money investing in it? And they said, you should create content around it because nobody's doing that at the moment. And I thought to myself, what have I been doing for the last 10 years? I've been creating content for lots of other people, but never for myself. So I dived in fully and I reached out to the NFT community and I jumped on Twitter. My Twitter had probably been dormant for about 10 years. <laughs> so this is the first time and I think a lot of people can, uh, can uh, empathize with this. You then suddenly pick it up again. And um, I just immersed myself in the NFT community and had a little bit of money. It sat in, I don't know, Coinbase, uh, in, in Ethereum and a few other meme, uh, like altcoins that I would probably invested in. And then um, I started listening and, and interacting and speaking to people. And then suddenly a fantastic community called the Junkyard Dogs said, hey, you should check us out, find out more about this. They then put me in touch with a guy called Chef, who's one of their founders and he said and I do you know what I was thinking about doing a YouTube channel and I was thinking about maybe interviewing people that's what I do for a day job I think you guys have got really interesting stories and then I put this video out with the co-founder of Junkyard Dogs and that was the first video I've ever done it makes me a little bit cringe to watch it because looking at the video quality that I produce now it's, it's eons above um but it was it was my most successful video to date. I think it's had over 40,000 views so far. And it's all about building a community in the NFT space. And when that started taking, I suppose when that started taking flight, I realized I was onto something. And bear in mind, Marcus, I've never, ever been early to anything in my life. I've never been early to a party. I've never been early to being on a YouTube channel and doing stuff right. I've always kind of been second or third or just too late. And loads of other people are doing it. And suddenly NFTs and this space welcomed me with open arms. And yeah, that's only three and a half months ago that that kind of really kicked off, which is crazy. And now I've got like, I'm hitting 3000 subscribers, 80,000 views on the channel. Um, and it's just growing. And yeah, I'm, I'm all in on NFTs. It's incredible. <laughs>
That's tremendous. Uh, so you are officially no longer kind of traditional nine to five. You're now all in on crypto. I am. I am. Let me say, I, I am still keeping my toes dipped in the world of broadcasting, but at my leisure. Um, so I, I actually quit all my job. I was a film critic for 10 years for the BBC and for other uh, various stations. And I decided that spending hours watching films and not getting paid enough for it was not probably the way I wanted to go <laughs> anymore. So I kind of called it quits on all that. But I do still I am still a tech expert on QVC here in the UK. So I do still do that. And I do still have a film podcast. But other than that, I am all in building Nifty World. And it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's never a chore to wake up in the morning and go to my desk and do my day job anymore. It, it, it's really interesting that you're able to do that. You know, you mentioned that that you felt like you've been late to the party and, and you're early for NFTs. But I guess also in the grand scheme of things, you know, you're 12 years into crypto, like Bitcoin launched back in, in 2009. Yeah. Right? So it's yeah. it's it's just really exciting to hear that even after all of that growth, you're still able to get in basically day one because you're, you're part of the early part of NFTs, which is the next evolution of the space. So I think at every major juncture, there's an opportunity to jump in. Uh, and obviously yeah. you know, there's an opportunity cost for missing out the previous 12 years, but that doesn't mean that you've missed everything. And you're a perfect example of that. Well, I don't, I, yeah, I mean, I look back at the time of Bitcoin and, you know, like that, what was that, nine, 10 years ago, financially, I wasn't in a position to invest anything at that point. And, you know, you learn and you grow and you invest what you can. And I remember, I, I remember actually being on QVC in Italy in 2017. And I discovered Coinbase back in that day as an app on your phone. And I spoke to my now husband and said, I think we should invest some money in crypto. And he went, are you mad? And I said, well, why don't we just take a couple of hundred pounds and see what happens with it? And I actually, I can remember seeing my phone screen. I can remember seeing both Ethereum and Litecoin. And <laughs> and I invested in Litecoin because Litecoin was like such little money, but Ethereum was a few hundred pounds. Don't even get me started on why I wish I'd just gone the Ethereum route at the time. But I didn't realize you could buy a bit of Ethereum. I thought you had to buy the whole thing. And I was like, I didn't have seven or eight hundred pounds. I had a couple of hundred pounds and I could look how many Litecoins I could get for that. So that's what I did. And I sat on it for two years and it didn't do anything. So, mm. um, but that's, you know, I wouldn't say I was, you know, I, I said I'd always have an interest in it. But I wanted to make sure that when I got into the NFT space that I didn't have any regrets. And, you know, there's always that hindsight. Oh, if I just got into Bitcoin earlier. Oh, if I just, you know, made that that jump and bought a little bit of Ethereum in 2017. Look where I would be now. And I was like, no, now is that my chance. I'm going to be more well-read. I'm going to be more engrossed in the community. I'm going to understand what I'm investing in. And I'm going to make more strategic decisions. And that's exactly where I am now. And I'm really, really grateful for it. I had a similar journey, obviously, you know, I just said I went full time uh, back in December, but I've, I've known about Bitcoin basically since 2011 because I have a technology degree and fascinated by tech via visa video games or via video games rather. And I didn't get my first half of Bitcoin until 2013. And I day traded it for like two to three weeks and I tripled my investment. Uh, but I, I left it in Dogecoin, which, which is a sign of the times on CEX, uh, you know, an exchange essential uh, or decentralized exchange and they delisted support for I had nomad and and doge and i got an email and said that 
my audio is a bit low. Okay, let me turn my audio, my gain up a little bit, get a little closer to the mic. Thank you, Rodney. Appreciate that. Um, so it, it, I basically didn't move my cryptocurrency back into Bitcoin like they were recommending, and so I started getting charged the equivalent of like bank fees, like you know your your standard wow. processing fees. And over the course of twelve months, basically they took all my Bitcoin from me. And they didn't steal it because they gave me several notices and I just didn't prioritize getting it done. Uh, and I learned a very important lesson about the difference between a, a custodial and non-custodial wallet in that process. But because of that, like I just didn't have the, the financial bandwidth because I was still kind of working day to day job to put any money into crypto. So I did start learning more about it in 2016 and, and recognizing the immense opportunity in the gaming industry, which is what we now see through blockchain gaming and, and metaverses. But same as you, you know, I didn't want to have any regrets at the end of the year. I said, I've got to dive into this now because it's, it's having an inflection point. And, and I don't want to look back and say I missed the, the inflection because I didn't want to take the risk. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you say that because I still feel that FOMO in some respects. You know, I, I was listening to podcasts about NFTs. I was, you know, in, in May, June time. I didn't make an investment until August. And I kind of go, gosh, if I'd have. I'd have bought an ape back in May or June if I'd have bought, you know, if I'd have bought a cool cat or a dead fellas or something like that. I just think how much better off I'd be. And it's really hard to put yourself in the position where you go, you know what, the fact that you've got something like that now, the fact that you have an NFT collection now, you are eons ahead of so many other people. And you're just not recognizing that. You're always feeling like you're playing catch up on this. And I don't think that feeling will ever go away. I think it's just, you know, you can never be absolutely the first person to do something in this space. You know, it's already been done, you know, a, a million times beforehand. And you watch all these people who are just thriving on investments they made maybe a week or so before you did. And you, you're you suddenly priced out of it. I mean, that's how quickly the space is moving in general. But the opportunity, I believe, is still incredibly early. I mean, looking at the metaverse, I just bought some land in the sandbox. Um that for me, I don't know what I'm going to do with that yet. <laughs> I just wanted to have it so that it may appreciate in value. It may go down that traditional, you know, um, uh, uh, I suppose that traditional uh, residential uh, sort of selling feel to it where I could like rent it out or do things like that. And it, it, it's just it's one of those things that you kind of go just just take a breath, you know, and just accept the fact that actually you are still ahead of people, even if it doesn't feel like that. And I think anyone that's even listening into this conversation right now, you're listening in because you are incredibly early into this space, whether or not you've done a few years in crypto, you've never heard of an NFT, and this is your first learning of that. And you're, you've heard Meta announce about their metaverse or Facebook announce about their metaverse. And now you're looking into it. The fact that you're even bothering to do that makes you really, really early, in my opinion. You mentioned Sandbox, and, and I think that that's a great move on your end for Nifty World. What made you choose that versus, you know, the many others opportunities in the space? You know, there's metaverses launching every week now, it seems. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was part of a, a conference in November, which was all about entering the metaverse. And I was lucky enough to interview the the found like Sebastian, the founder of the Metaverse, um, Dirk Luth, who's founder of Upland, um, Harish, who's founder of Superworlds, and um I, I myself have kind of walked around Decentraland. Um for me, it's about personal preference and where you see that future going. If you're gonna make an investment, like it wasn't a cheap investment, 
but it was an it was a well thought out investment for me i was really interested in in a lot of these bigger metaverses that i can't you know there can only be one that i can afford to buy into and i have to kind of look at what a lot of other players in this space are doing and for me big brands where i see myself and nifty world in the future the positioning of that i felt like the sandbox is right for me like the plot that 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 my team has bought is is right near atari um we're in that main element that main street you know it's like buying in the center of london or buying somewhere you know again if you just think of it from a pure investment purpose if you're buying next to massive brands you're probably in times square or you're probably in your equivalent in your own country and that's the way i looked at it and i i, I looked around to central land and I, I, that would kind of be my secondary choice in a way. And I'm still kind of debating whether or not to buy stuff there as well, to have a presence there before it's too late. I mean, it's all too tempting, isn't it? You kind of just want to be everywhere. Um, the big thing for me with Sandbox was, you know, if anyone that's that's listening in on Discord, you can see my profile picture is a, is a mutant ape. That was my first massive investment into the NFT space. As soon as I saw that... Um, Adidas and and the Mutant Apes and G Money and and the Punks were all joining together to help make Adidas's move into the metaverse happen. That was happening in the sandbox. Snoop Dogg is in the sandbox. Walking Dead is in the sandbox. Sometimes you just have to go where all the big players are going. And, you know, like I say, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that land yet. I just want to be a part of it. It might just be that I pull out a bit of a yield in the future. Or it might just be that I actually turn that into something. My my plan is is the latter, but it's about being surrounded by the people that I think inspire you within this space as well, and the opportunity that they're proposing as well as being part of that particular metaverse. Having said that, I do think for anyone who is potentially looking into what is a metaverse, what what how does it work, how do I how do I even think about getting involved in that. I would actually encourage you to look at something like Superworld as a as a metaverse, um, because that for me mixes reality and augmented reality and makes it almost a little bit easier to make that jump rather than going full on gaming, uh, I suppose, gamified into um, the sandbox, which is what that is. So it's personal preference at the end of the day. I don't know, Marcus, if you've if you've treaded into the metaverse yet and, and picked up some land, but that's just my take on it. <laughs> I haven't gotten any land yet, uh, and and that's probably outside of my budget now. Because ironically, I produced, co-produced uh, maybe the first esports conference and career expo in in a metaverse in Decentraland back in February last year. When the Super Bowl came here to Tampa Bay, I partnered with Derek Watford here in the local area and Johnson C Smith University, which is a historically black college and university, to put on this hybrid event where. We did the conference content through Zoom, but we partnered with some folks inside of the Central Land to actually stream the content into a district in the Central Land. And then we also had an in-person experience. So the people, you know, if they were in here in Tampa Bay, they could be a part of it. If they were around the world, they could be. And we I think we had attendees, 700 attendees from like four continents. So it was a tremendous success for a first year event. But I didn't at the time. Again, I was still working nine to five, kind of more or less, you know, month to month, paycheck to paycheck. I didn't have the the financial bandwidth to invest in at the time. And ironically, I, I trained a bunch of students to prepare for that event because they were providing support as volunteers. One of them went and bought some land during that process. And, and I think like two or three months ago, he sent me a message that said, hey, my investment has 
increased significantly. Thank you for getting me on board. So I was able to facilitate his success, financial success, but not my own. Yeah. That, that's kind of the story of my, my crypto journey over the last 10 years. <laughs> Slightly bittersweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. Um, uh, Bobby Smith here on LinkedIn, I've just seen a comment that said the future of education will happen in the metaverse. And I have to say, just in response to that, that's a massive driver for what the decision was for me to be in the sandbox. My, I want to build a media, a metaverse media company that educates. And I know that the sandbox is putting a, a lot of um, a lot of help behind anyone who wants to be doing education in that space. And, and you know, if I can get that support to help build what I'm doing even more and to help people understand the world of crypto, the world of NFTs, the world of the metaverse in a, in an accessible way. And I can do that. And you can come to my, you can come to my plot of land. You can sit in my virtual office. We can have a conversation as avatars and maybe I can sit you into an event um, in this, you know, then that, that's an amazing opportunity to have. It beats having to buy an actual office here or rent an office in the real world. I'd much rather do it that way. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Um, I've been following, I don't, I'm sure you're familiar with Second Life, and I think Second Life may be one of the first official metaverses. You know, if we're talking about not, and obviously, you know, the metaverse has existed in the gaming industry for three decades. But in terms of like the first place where it's it's really kind of a duplicate society or what you would expect to be like a virtual twin. You know, they've been pioneers in that space for almost 20 years. And, and we're, I think probably one of the first virtual platforms to accept Bitcoin or, or allow you to, to transfer Bitcoin. Or, or at least transact in it. And the reason I learned about it was because I was in college at the time talking to the CTO and the CTO was saying, hey, what do you think about us doing classes in Second Life? Like just some portion of the educational experience in Second Life, still keeping the brick and mortar. You know, this was 15 years ago. But yeah, I, I agree 100 percent. And I, I'm surprised that more schools haven't moved in that direction. I think. Do you know what? I think uh, having listened to the keynote from Mark Zuckerberg on Meta, the, I mean, you know, r roll your eyes, if you will, or just like whatever your thoughts are on, on the Facebook move into Meta. I think it's it's really interesting because what he just said is that the big thing that's going to make this move secure itself is going to be haptics and the ability to really feel like you're there somewhere, which takes us away from... You know, that moves us from web two into web three. The immersion feeling is going to be the big thing. So, you know, I, I tried to show my mum why I bought um, why I bought land in the metaverse the other day. And I showed her Decentraland because it was the easiest thing to kind of get her to understand or to try and understand what we were doing. And she just said, but why? Why would I why would I want to, you know, why would I want to sit on my computer and walk around as a as a game <laughs> and try and do stuff? And, I, and my response to that was like, I think what it is is that we're gonna need the VR headsets that are lightweight and like glasses. We're going to need the haptics that make us feel that when we shake someone's hand who's in Australia, or Marcus, you and I do this again in the future in the metaverse, we shake hands or we high five and we actually feel that, even though you're in Florida and I'm in the UK it's that it's bringing that immersion even further into into the space and 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 making that more accessible for a lot of people you know I mean I have been on an I, I have trialed an oculus rift I've I've you know I've I sat and done immersive experiences using VR headsets apart from the initial motion sickness <laughs> I got on some of them 
generally I was blown away by it and I think it's just we just need to give technology a little bit of time to catch up and to develop that that stuff but but remember and I always say this to anyone who's kind of going why why would I want to be what why would I buy land why do I think this is the next big thing and I, I always go back to remember what happened 2007 2008 when people were saying why are we going to need apps on our phones why are we what is this social media why are we going to you know I don't get it why would I want to be telling everyone my status all day every day um and look where we are now right it's just going to take a little bit of time and then everyone's going to be on board and then they'll wonder why did I even question it because it's just second nature (laughs) yeah I agree with you I think there's a huge opportunity for especially like large enterprises to and, and obviously that's Meta's bet is that large brands will get into the metaverse and they've got that kind of workforce, like meeting spaces they're building. So you think about like trying to do international travel, you know, if I wanted to go to meet you in person, it would be several hundred dollars and, and several hours of my time in transit to and from versus yeah. us having a, a, the same meeting with the right equipment. Like you said, if you have this full immersive experience and, and it might be even better than meeting in person because we were able to do both have the conversation and have like real time access to all this ancillary information that enhance the conversation where we might not be able to access that as quickly in a physical meeting space. Yeah. And I mean, look at us now. I mean, we're live streaming on LinkedIn. We're on Discord. We can see each other face to face. You know, we have access to things like Zoom, FaceTime, all of this stuff, WhatsApp calling. This was like even five, six years ago was a little bit sort of like, what? What is this? You know, is this going to happen? Like, what, what? What? why do we need to know this? And then I really think the pandemic has just, you know, really changed the game. That If you're going to pull out any positives from the pandemic, it is about people being and, and industries and, and enterprises being more open to the fact that actually things can be done in a more virtual digital way. It's not like you're skiving off of work if you're going to work from home by your computer and logging into a, a, a you know a a computer screen to have a conversation with a colleague. Yeah, there's things we'll miss like those water cooler moments, but actually if this is the start, it it sped up this start towards that future of if this is step 1, the haptics the you know the the full kind of um meetings being sat down maybe walking on a treadmill that's getting us proper ready player one stuff like that is probably 20 30 years away but actually elements of that might only be five years away which i think is actually really really exciting i agree i agree i, I want to take a quick break for the audience to do some q a what we do in in this podcast is really engage the community so we've got about 15, 20 people here. If you have any questions for Bex, you're welcome to raise your hand and I can promote you to the stage so that you can ask those questions live. Uh, and as we're taking this, this quick Q&A commercial break, uh, also some more housekeeping items. Just as a reminder, uh, on the 4th, we announced that the Gamify IDO will be on January 18th um, at CET time. I think that's UK time, or let me just say UK time because I'm terrible with time zones. <laughs> Um, and so that, that's worldwide. It'll be not only on LaunchPool, but also on PancakeSwap. So just a quick reminder there. And then if anyone has any questions, I've got a hand raised here. So let me get you promoted to the stage. And as you're joining the stage, anyone on LinkedIn, I just posted the link in the chat. So if you want to jump here in the Discord, uh, I see Ash, thank you for joining us from LinkedIn. Anyone else want to join in here? You can ask some questions to Bex Live. So Deluxe, your life. You've been uh, invited to speak to the stage. So if you accept that invitation, you can join us on the stage and ask a question. Here we go. 
Hi. That's really interesting. And I think I think it's an age old problem that Facebook has, you know, with data. It doesn't matter if we're talking about haptics or we're talking about what they're doing right now, you know, like not. I don't know, like not um, limiting certain things on their platform and, you know, certain points of view that can be problematic. It's all at the end of the day, I think from a personal perspective, when I talk about haptics, I was just using Meta as an example because they mentioned it in the keynote and it was of interest. But as a general thing, I think I I do have a worry that Meta is going to buy every metaverse and create one big metaverse. I think that's probably the game plan. And, you know, they're going to put some offers down that probably a lot of these other creators won't be able to to um, won't be able to resist, unfortunately. But I do I do worry about data. I do worry about what that means. I, I haven't worried about it in the past, if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, because I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, we, we had some chat come in from LinkedIn and I didn't even consider this, that the people who are in LinkedIn can only hear the two of us. So I'm going to repeat the question from Deluxe Your Life. I think I'm pronouncing that properly. The question was, um, how do we, what what, are, what were Bex's thoughts on kind of larger organizations like Facebook, now Meta, um, having access to all of this haptic feedback and other uh, digitized information that wasn't previously available to large organizations? And does she have any concerns and, and what might Nifty World be doing to address that? Go ahead. Yeah, so so with that, I'm still mulling it over because it's not it's not a straightforward answer to this. I think accountability is going to be a huge thing. I think you know that we've seen stories of whistleblowers against Facebook. You know, we've seen stories of people calling them out and and petitions and things like that. And they have a responsibility, a corporate social responsibility as a company, to you know to to balance out the the freedom of of speech and and. I suppose data to some extent and and what they're going and and to be accountable as to what they're going to do about it what we can't do is know what is read their minds and know what they're actually going to do about it from a from a nifty world CSR point of view as well is that I want to make sure you know integrity is is at the heart of everything that we do and you know from an educational perspective we are not you know we have a thing in the UK for anyone that's that that is not a fate with the the UK legal system. We have GDPR, which means you know if you are taking anyone's data, you are you need to kind of let them know that you're doing that and for what purpose you're using it. And you know that comes down to our websites and and any sort of social media or email marketing or anything like that. So we take that idea and we work with a team of lawyers here in the UK to make sure that everything is is accounted for because I don't want to put a foot wrong in this. I think there's so much. I think in this space in general, because it is so early, it is, I always class it as a bit of the wild, wild west. And everyone's after that gold rush at the moment, but you've got to still think with your business head and you still need to kind of make sure you put certain pieces in place to make sure that you and the people you are referring to and speaking to and looking after and educating are feeling like that is, you know, that they are protected at the same time. It's exactly the same in some respects as, if I'm going to work with a with a partner on my channel is to declare what is an ad and what is organically sourced, because that doesn't serve the community correctly if I don't declare that kind of information. So, you know, taking that as the backbone of what we do and to make sure that everything is transparent and open 
I can't talk for Facebook and Meta and what their plans are. But what I can say is from Nifty World's point of view, as we grow, making sure that everyone is is kept in the loop and being transparent as to what we do, whether or not it's with haptics or, you know, inviting people to events and how that data and their presence there in the metaverse is being used and all that kind of stuff will be very much um, open and honest and transparent to everyone. So I hope that helps answer your question. I don't know. I mean, you know, how long's a piece of string when it comes to uh, asking what, what meta's going on behind closed doors? <laughs> I would love to know myself, really. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing is, is what I'd say. Keep doing what you're doing and let me know when you are hitting a boiling point because I'll probably want to cover it <laughs> on my channel. <laughs> Bex, if you don't mind too as well on LinkedIn, if you would post your LinkedIn profile link. Um, and yeah. if, I don't know if it's if it's short enough, you can read it out to those who are joining us here in Discord so they can go support you there and, and your Twitter as well. I'll invite you to do that at the end as well, but since we're here. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll post my Twitter page right now um oh gosh i can't see where i can post actually because i've got the feed from everyone else but i can't post myself okay but, if you want to uh, send it to the LinkedIn, then i will get it into the channel yeah there we go so that's my linkedin page i will also send you guys my youtube channel page which is where i live most of my most of my days um and uh you guys could you guys can um find me there which is uh yeah which is kind of where it all began and and where it's all going and and what it's all doing and uh this is where I kind of communicate and it's been such a journey actually um on there to make sure that I do everything that I can to make sure that the world of uh NFTs and and it, it is accessible to everyone um and it is easy for anyone to 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 follow and understand and I do that not through my own it's interesting I do this I, I purposely do not um, ever want to kind of say I am the expert in NFTs. I feel like I'm a bit of a facilitator when it comes to NFTs. I, I probably know a lot more than most, but actually I do turn to the people. I think the best way you can learn in this space is from the people that I have been very privileged to interview because these are very successful, brilliant projects that are, um, sorry, I've just sent you my Twitter there as I was rambling on. Um, I, I've always found in broadcast and in journalism is is um, by being able to interview incredible people, you get the best knowledge. So if I'm going to put out a video that is, you know, how to build a successful community, I will find someone who's done it and interview them rather than me going, hey, guys, here's how you build a successful community, because I've not done it. So <laughs> I think it's really important that we kind of go, we go down that route and we involve as many people from the community as possible, because that's what for me within, you know, I'm obviously very passionate about NFTs. And I think my next step for me is to really focus a lot on the on the metaverse. But the thing that brought me into this, and I think what a lot of people find as a bit of solace from everyday life, is the sense of community within the NFT space. Um, you know, there's been over the last couple of years, we, we've all seen and probably experienced ourselves, and I'll hold my hand up and say I am one of them. Mental health has been a massive issue throughout lockdowns and and, you know, this uncertainty over the last two years and where people probably who were maybe more introverted in real life have suddenly found a friendship group and discords and, and stuff that they feel really comfortable with. And that's, you know, that's been more accessible than it ever has been thanks to the NFT space and thanks to the, you know, people who are working towards this, um, I suppose, this incredible, like, decentralised future 
that we're all working towards. I think it's that, like I said at the beginning, that level of hope and opportunity drives a lot of people to become much, much more positive in themselves. And I've often found that this space is an incredibly generous space as well, which is one of the big things that, that drew me in. Well, thank you for that question, uh, Deluxe Your Life. Uh, if, if you'd like to take a step down, if anyone else would like to be promoted, we have time for one more question, then we're going to continue the conversation here. Bex, to your point, though, as well, I think it's interesting. There seems to be almost be like a, a coalition of metaverse companies who are banding together collectively against meta. And so it'd be interesting <laughs> to see how that dynamic like shapes the future of the space, because it's it's almost like they are all trying to get to the metaverse before meta does to save it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, you know what, I think if you think back to 2018, 2019, even earlier than that, that's the way people are feeling against Amazon. Mm. So, the, the, you know, the, the big corporations, and you want it David and Goliath, you know, and that's, that's the way I think a lot of people feel. Um, Mark Zuckerberg has made no bones about the fact that he's been the, the rebrand has just happened now, but they've been a metaverse focused company for about seven years now, you know, and it's just about now that they feel it's the right time to let the world know that. And you've got to admire him for that. It's not like he's just decided to do that as part of a cash grab. This is like whatever you think of Facebook and Meta, he's a clever guy. right? He's changed the way we do things fundamentally. He was at that turning point of technology. So you've got to applaud him for that. Whether or not you agree with the principles or the way that he goes about things is, 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 is uh, you know, that's entirely your choice. For me, I'm always about progress. I'm always about innovation. I'm about opportunity. And I think there's plenty of opportunity for plenty of people in this space. Um, you only have to turn to, to, I'll say it again, you only have to turn to YouTube to watch videos which say how to become, how to start working in the metaverse, right? How to become a metaverse millionaire which is obviously what's drawing people in. And it's actually, when you look at those kind of videos and you look at what people are saying about, about the metaverse, you don't have to have created a metaverse to suddenly really succeed in this space. You could be a coder, a graphic designer. You could even be a real estate person. You just need to kind of flip what you're doing and turn it into this new world and be open-minded enough to be able to kind of go, this could be that next turning point in technology. In fact, it's not, it could be, it will be, but it's hard to kind of convince people of that. Like Marcus, I, over Christmas, I sat with two very good friends of mine in our local pub, uh, my old school friends, I've known them for well over 20 years. And I sat them down and I said, I said, guys, I'm gonna say this once. I'm not gonna badger you about it again. If you wanna find out more about it, please do. But I said, this is happening. I think the metaverse is something you guys need to look into. I think NFTs are something you guys need to look into. I gave them my spiel and my monologue and I said, go away. I'm going to send you some articles. I'm going to send you my channel. I'm going to, I'm happy to take any questions, but don't miss the boat. This is your opportunity to not miss the boat. And, it, and the only way that you won't miss the boat is if you're open to learning. And that doesn't cost you a thing to learn. Mm -hmm. I, I've had similar experience and, and I, now that I'm moving into the space full time, I'm, I'm shifting away from encouraging people so much and actually redirecting some of that time into doing it myself because 
the question that I've gotten over the years is like, yeah, you keep talking about crypto and the metaverse, but like, what do you have to show for? Like they're looking for validation from me because they know me. They also know I'm a serial entrepreneur and I've done a lot of things entrepreneurially that didn't work. So they're not sure if this is one of those things that will work or won't work, despite the fact that, you know, the trillion dollars of, of crypto being, you know, transacted and, and all the impact it's having around the world until they see it from someone that they know, you know, vis-a-vis me, uh, it, it, it's not real for them. So I, that that's a struggle for me because I, I think I miss an opportunity to get more people educated, but I understand that they need to see evidence and they need to see evidence yeah. from someone they know and they trust. Yeah. And to that point, I, we spoke to some family members and we talked about our, when I say we are saying my husband and I, we talked about our investments because again, from our family, we're like, please get on this train because if you miss it, you're going to really regret it. And the immediate question that came back was, yeah, but have you actually, you're telling us this potential profit you've made, but have you sold any? Have you sold any NFTs? <laughs> and then you have to explain the concept of holding on for dear life because there's a bigger opportunity than selling, than having paper hands and selling right now. Um, so it, it's this constant balance. And, you know, what? I've, I don't think I've ever been as excited. Uh, like you, Marcus, I've been a serial entrepreneur. I've tried different things. You know, like I said, I've, I've, tr- I've never been first to YouTube on on other things. I had an interior design channel on YouTube. I had, you know, I started something um, many moons ago about film. And I'm never, you know, you can never catch up on things like that. They've been done to death. And, you know, it, it's now that I've kind of gone after all this that's happened in the last couple of years, after all the the ups and downs, the way I've felt, you know, the way I've been unsure what my purpose and my direction is in business and in life, finding this space and finding these people and finding this opportunity, this has never made me more sure of anything, that there is, there is a massive chance for not just me, but for you and for everyone who embraces it. And the way that, like I said, the way that you can embrace this will not cost you a cent. It is just about opening your mind to being open to learn, to speak, to ask those questions. And if you ask them now, when people start asking it in 6, 12, 18 months time, you'll have the answers and you'll be so much better off because of that. And that's the way I kind of feel about it all. I agree. I agree. And I think what are we still at one or two percent of the global population are in crypto, maybe you know three percent now. So there's still so much growth opportunity. Anyone who gets in today, knowing nothing today in six months could, you know, if they, they're sincere about it, could be a local subject matter expert. You might not be yeah. X, right, for, for NFT and, and metaverse, but in their immediate network and immediate community, they could be the go to person. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, to flip that on its head, though, Marcus, I do feel Sometimes I do kind of go, oh, no, but I actually quite like the community at the size that it's at because it's so nice. And you sometimes feel that if it grows anymore, suddenly you're going to get all these influencers coming in and it's going to, you know, there are problems in the space that need to be, there's kinks that need to be ironed out. And if they don't get, if they don't get ironed out now, they'll get bigger and worse. And there's all, but that's, that's growth, right? And that's, that's, it's a nice problem to have. Oh, something that you've been into really early is suddenly growing and you just have to ride that wave. Oh, what a shame. But it's just, I think when you're in such a, a tight knit community that, that it is at the moment, I feel like I feel very protective over it, but at the same time, excited for its growth. So yeah, but I, I, I appreciate everyone that's that's listening today and that's that's 
that's commented and is asked a question or is just, you know, generally intrigued because I think you guys really are the future of this um, because, you know, you're there and you're, you're understanding. And, and it's really interesting because um, not to kind of monologue on about this, but I have posted recently a, a link to a very well-respected newspaper opinion piece um, that was, I posted this on my LinkedIn who basically it was an opinion piece about NFTs and particularly about the Board Ape Yacht Club, which is, you know, probably the most well-known NFT out there for a number of different reasons, from celebrities through buying into it from its ridiculously astronomical uh, entry price and and things like that, and and basically saying that it's it's it, it, it it's a cash grab, it's egotistical, it's you know, it's like this boys' club and things. And I was like, you haven't done any research into the community. It's like you know, as a woman in this space, I've never felt more welcomed as, you know, as someone who is not not got that amount of money to spend to drop $200,000 plus on something like this doesn't mean that I'm not invited to be part of this. It's it, it's not killing art. It's encouraging art. It's changing the creator's economy. It, there's some very short sighted um, conversa conversations that are out there, which I feel is a shame because anyone who is new to it will look to those traditional outlets so far that have written something like that. And because it's been written in, in my opinion, in an unbalanced way, will not look any further into it. And they will miss the opportunity for that. And that's what, what I think is quite dangerous. However, what it has done when I post it on my LinkedIn is caused much debate and caused even more conversation from people who are willing to have a conversation around that. And for that reason, I welcome it, good and bad. And I think the more conversations that we can have, the better it's going to be for all elements of crypto and and, you know, decentralized, the decentralized economy in general, but also the opportunity for creators. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Bobby's just <laughs> Bobby's just shared it on LinkedIn, the, the piece that I'm referring to. It's about M&M buying, uh, buying a board ape. But it, it, yeah, I just felt it was a, a bit of a clickbait journalism. And it was a shame because it's from quite a well-known. Uh, newspaper here in the UK and it's it's a shame because you would have thought they would have embraced the technology and they would have embraced what it all means but um can't win them all I suppose <laughs> and I'll see if I can dig that link up and post it in the chat so everyone can see it because I've been following the the conversation that that's happened there in the comments and, and sometimes I, I find if it's, it's even if it's uh, intense that back and forth people disagreeing and, and even either eventually agreeing or agreeing to disagree gives you more perspective because I think it's easy mm -hmm. And, you know, I see this myself in the esports space to have uh, kind of an echo chamber, even when I'm talking about scaling esports, which is and when I do it, it, it comes with a lot of um, opposition from what I describe as status quo esports, because in, in, in my mind, in order for it to be scalable, some of the things that are here today are preventing scale. So you have to deconstruct some of them. Uh, but when people disagree with me, I get to learn from their perspective. And when I disagree with someone else, I get to learn from their perspective. And I think there's truth in, in both sides of the argument to varying degrees. You have to be uh, you know, willing to, to listen and, and, and understand the other person's perspective, even if you don't agree with it, understanding it's important. Yeah. But also it's about knowing when to respond to someone who you just know their responses is, or their comment is they're not going to want to listen. They right. just want to put their piece out there and say what it is but I've had I've responded to some comments on that thread when I posted it and someone had no idea again uh, about what NFTs are as an access token versus a utility based token versus a one of one piece of art and it just took 
a short paragraph for me to explain that to them for them to say oh well in that case I get it I get it and we're talking to this type of people and not that type of people and I was like yeah but you don't get that from that article and I think that's a shame because it doesn't open your mind to it and you know it's interesting because I once upon a time in 2018 was actually in the esports game myself and um, realized I, I had a little business that brokered deals around esports teams. I even ran an esports team for a very short space of time. And I caught up recently with my old business partner from that. Uh, and, and the thing that we said, it was all left very amicably. And he said, you know what? It wasn't that we were too early. We just needed to learn more in that space and we weren't quite ready for it. But had I not done that in 2018, I wouldn't have been able to have, le- have been confident in the space that I'm in now. So all roads, no matter how varied and no matter how much of a jack of all trades you probably feel you've been in your career and your life, if when it hits and you find that area that you're passionate about, and it might be NFTs, it might be the metaverse, it might be crypto, it might not, but all those roads will come together at some point and they will help you to find your true um, your true direction. Um, and it's I have to say, from my point of view, it's a very exhilarating feeling when you do. I'm trying to post that link. That that was great. <laughs> I'm trying to post the link to everyone here in Discord since we don't have chat uh, in this voice room, and I don't know how to do that. So I may have to just do it later. Look, I'll just do it later. Do it later, but don't come at me, Discord. Don't don't hate <laughs> <laughs> on me. <laughs> yeah. I just want no, to help you, them debate. <laughs> you're right. There's some people who are just want to make their point, not willing to really engage and learn and, and, and even be wrong. You have to be willing to be wrong. And yeah. I don't know if there's enough of that. I know there's not enough of that in, in any space, this this being one of them. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, actually, I will never declare myself as an expert in NFTs. This space is too early to have any experts in it, right? I am a facilitator of knowledge that I find out myself that maybe you guys don't have time to look into. So I'm going to help make that accessible and I think anyone that tells you that they are an expert in that area they cannot possibly be this you know even if you've been in this space since 2017 right and you you bought your crypto kitties and you bought you know you are gifted a punk you might not have done anything on that for another three or so years Mm -hmm. and you you can call yourself an OG but are you an expert there aren't any experts yet we're all still trying to find our way we're all still making mistakes and we're all still learning from it so there's influence, there's expertise, but there's, there's, we're all, the thing that I love about this is that we've all started on a level playing field. It doesn't matter where you've come from. And that, that for me is, is an incredible, incredible opportunity and something that for anyone that's wanting to get into any of these spaces, remember that you can feel welcome in them because of that, because everyone was with you, not years and years ago, it's months ago, possibly even just weeks ago. And people are you know accepting of that and i think it's i think it's fantastic to be honest I'm trying to accidentally lost the screen share i think people are still seeing us live they can't see the chat but no i i agree i think it's uh, who said it a famous writer said it takes ten thousand. here's a book on it and i'm forgetting what it is but it takes ten thousand hours to have uh domain expertise on, on a given thing to become an expert and that's you know if you think about you know three hours a day or so that's roughly 10 years so you know you, you could be an expert on crypto and Bitcoin, if you were here in, in 2009, 2010, someone who says that, I think, and they've been active in the space, like to your point, over the last 10 years, then yes, they could be an expert in crypto. Anyone else who started after that, who hasn't been putting in that many hours, I, I would be concerned to hear them claim themselves as an expert 
And the same thing you said, you know, about NFTs, it hasn't been around 10 years. So A, it's impossible to have that kind of 10,000 hours unless you're literally breathing it. And, and B, it, I think more importantly, the space is evolving so quickly that it's mm-hmm. unrealistic that you can be an expert on everything NFT. There's so many yeah. projects popping up all the time. It's, it's literally impossible. You can't. Yeah. It's just when I when I wanted to get in, and I, I focused, I pivoted from blockchain in 2017 to esports. I I had a lot of understanding about the space. I wasn't an expert, but I, I knew it very well. And and now I'm having to reimmerse myself into the ecosystem because I was so focused on esports. I know a lot about esports now, and I had to do that at the expense of knowing about blockchain and crypto and, and the NFT metaverse trend and, and and momentum that's built up over the last three or four years. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. I, I, I'm always happy to be completely honest with my journey here. And mm. I remember when I did my first interview about NFTs with um, with with Chef, which um, which is the, one of the co-founders of Junkyard Dogs. He's turned out to be one a great friend of mine in this space. One of the things you'll do is you'll really will build up genuine friendships. Um, but he, <laughs> when I interviewed him for the first time, I didn't know what a gas fee was. I didn't really understand kind of what that he had this thing on the 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 uh on the project called scrap the scrap system which is kind of leading into kind of breeding your nfts and all this kind of stuff this is things that like I would learn months in advance but you know what fake it till you make it I smiled and I went gas fees let's talk about those and just led them on to start talking about it and that was my learning from it and then after that interview watching it back and then doing my research and going, this guy talked about gas fees. This guy talked about this area. This guy, And there's so much to piece together. But the only way you can really piece things together is by having those conversations. Mine just happened to be on camera. Um, and, now, and now when I'm moderating conferences around the metaverse or NFTs or anything like that, I'm still learning. You know, it's so exciting. Like, I have a concept of what Web3 is going to be, but I'm hosting a conference at the end of this month where some of the biggest names in Web3 I'm going to be interviewing. And I was like, I can give them that launch pad for them to start talking. But God, am I going to learn so much from this conference just by moderating it? And I think asking those questions, being open to those questions and asking even more questions, open to those answers and asking even more questions when they give you those answers is the way that each and every one of us is going to learn. And they might not be right, right? They might not have the definitive answer, but it will certainly get you thinking. So yeah, Lawrence here in, in LinkedIn has said, I learn something new every day. If if people in this space do not learn something new every day, you're not talking to enough people, is my opinion on that, because I think you should always be learning. If it's a new terminology, if you didn't know what WGMI means or GM means at the very basic level and you don't know how to say hi to the community you need to learn that right so you need to ask someone what that means what does diamond hands mean versus paper hands what does you know what what does eight in actually mean all these things that still I have to sometimes google and try and find out but you know at the end of the day it's it's a nice thing to be doing and again you can go away and you can sit in the bars with your friends and you can chat to your family and you you can realize that you talk a completely different language and you haven't even realized that you've immersed yourself in that so much. It's great. I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. I, I know we need to level set because I'm, I'm taking for granted the fact that we're, we're having this conversation in Discord and that, again, we're live streaming the LinkedIn. There are some people who may be joining us and shout out to the 10 folks or so who are live streaming in. We appreciate you uh, and LinkedIn. Can you level set and, and help describe from your perspective or define rather 
an NFT and metaverse? Okay, so an NFT, for anyone that doesn't know, is a non-fungible token, which um, it, I suppose you break it down into, into two parts. So the non-fungible part is the bit that means it's not interchangeable. So if you were to, I suppose, put it into an art context, if you were to have the Mona Lisa, in, in the real life, if you had the Mona Lisa, someone might go, uh, what do you mean you've got the Mona Lisa? Prove it. And because you own it on the blockchain, you have that digital, it's on that digital ledger, which says, yeah, you most definitely have a, uh, you have the original Mona Lisa. Whereas everyone else might right click that JPEG and say they own the Mona Lisa. But you and everyone that checks it out on the blockchain knows that for sure. And then the token side of NFT is, is the access that that can give you. So as I mentioned earlier, there's lots of different ways of looking at that. So you could be, um, you know, you could be a uh, someone that's got a one of one piece of art, right? And that's that's the token is the access to that artist. So Damien Hurst is a great example of this. The, who, how many people here could own a Damien Hurst? Only if you've got a few million. But when he released an NFT, suddenly you own something of that artist that is genuine and real and is certified. Um, but then that token may give you access to lots of different things. So you can buy a, an NFT, which is a token access to the metaverse, which will give you special things within the metaverse that might help you, you know, have wearables, have um, access to certain events. It's, it's like a ticket, a digital ticket. Um, so at the end of the day, it's an authenticated piece of content, which is time stamped onto the blockchain. Okay, so that is that is where NFT is. And Marcus, you talked about metaverse earlier, and I think the best way to look at the metaverse is about having um, a digital twin, which is something that I think, or a virtual twin, you called it. But it's about taking your life and putting it into a virtual context, and and saying this is how I'm going to live my life in this virtual way. And that now is expanding because of fashion brands and and lots of other brands getting into space into. What am I going to dress my avatar like? How am I going to look in the metaverse? How important is that? Um, and, and what am I going to do there? So you can go and visit an art gallery. You can go and sit, sit in an office if you wanted to and have a, have a conversation there. You can go to a concert um, in, in one of these many different metaverses. And the opportunity there is, is, is that Web3 is offering is the immersion element of that. That is going to become more and more and more lifelike in a way, um, in the few years to come. So for anyone who wants to kind of go, I can't, I can't quite understand what you mean by that. I can't quite see where that's going. Watch Ready Player One, right? And look at that and see where we're going to be. Not with the whole kind of rundown um, trailer park <laughs> element that we live in in real life. I hope it doesn't get to that point. But the digital side of that is hopefully where we're going to be to some way, shape or form in the next maybe 20 or 30 years. I have some deep concerns about that trailer park piece in the digital future because I, <laughs> I you all won't have that context in the UK, but you know we had the gold rush here in the US and it went up to about 1858 and slavery was still legal in the US until 1863. So generally speaking, um, the people of color who did work to build the country for free did not have the ability to acquire the real estate, the physical real estate that then kind of over the course of the last 150 some odd years, 200 years has created generational wealth. And you look at here in the U S 
2053, the median household wealth of the black community is expected to fall to zero dollars, like zero dollars. And and the, the Latinx community is expected to fall to zero another three or four years after that. So in roughly 30 years, roughly 30 percent of this country's, you know, citizenship will have a median household income of zero. And I, I, I'm not blaming it on the gold rush, but I, I think there's a strong connection between having the ability to generate uh, generational wealth and then how you can translate that into stock or, or whatever and not having that and where we stand today. It gives me a lot of concern then about seeing the metaverse where, you know, as you mentioned, you've got kind of this, this, main hub popping up in all these more popular locations, people who may not have access to um, the computing rigs you need to mine crypto or now getting into the space late can't afford to get that virtual Times Square space and maybe priced out of the ecosystem altogether so that I talked to Chris about this on the first episode. Uh, it, it could bring about digital slavery. That's a concern, or I think a legitimate concern for this space. Yeah. And I've seen people talking about it. Yeah, and look, uh, I've had I've had people describe NFTs as Pokemon cards for rich people, right? Um, there is there are views on on what this is in any industry in any kind of movement. There are positive and negative views to it, and there are concerns as much as there is hope. And I think as long as those concerns are being addressed and trying to be helped in any way to make sure that that doesn't happen. I think, you know, we have to kind of strive towards that. And I think it's it's there's a corporate responsibility to make sure that that doesn't happen as well. I mean, look, I'm not in any way putting myself in any sort of position, the general wealth position or similar to that in any way. But it is a that I have stretched myself to to be in this space. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, that is not something that I would advise but it's it's and it's not going to be something that everyone is going to be able to afford to do if I'd have done this a year ago I'd be paying pennies for it (laughs) for my land instead of paying many many dollars for it but then it's kind of looking forwards to the future and going well hang on if I want to expand and be in this space like let's look at the sandbox you know it it was we we got lucky in the sandbox right we found we found a pixel in the sandbox in the main space that was a bargain and we raced to get all of our money into crypto to be able to buy it because we knew that maybe in an hour's time we're not going to be able to afford that what does that mean for our future well the benefits of it is that actually, yeah, we have this shop front in the future. And yes, that might actually um, give us that that footfall and that opportunity there. But, but for us, actually, the next step is to buy a piece of land further out of that space, which we can teleport to. That's not really a sentence I'd expect to have said. But the bigger opportunity will be somewhere not in that main street, because that's where more more people will be able to access in the future and they'll be able to go. And I think that that to be able to speak, you know, my job in this space is to, is to speak to everybody. Um, you know, I don't have to hang around on, on the fifth Avenue style side of, uh, of the sandbox, but it's nice to be able to know that I'm early enough to be able to get a bargain in there right now. But in the future, I want to be immersed in all communities in the sandbox. And that might mean having land in lots of different places, because like any sort of educational facility, you want to be able to make sure that you're accessible to everyone. And hopefully 
that's a move in the right direction to do it and to have that as part of our strategy so that we can make sure that we can cater to everyone. Um, and that's an investment that Nifty World is making as a business to make sure that we do. So, yeah, it, it, it's a tough one, Marcus. Like, you know, I want I would love this to be accessible to everyone. I think the fact that you don't have to step outside your door to access this is is opening up so much accessibility. But the ability to have the finances to afford even the computer to let you start your journey is not going to be affordable for everyone. And I think that's a massive shame. And so it's therefore the responsibility of people who can afford it to make sure that they are aware of that and to do what they can to encourage and help those who can't to be that next generation who eventually won't feel that financial uh, their financial situation will prohibit them from being able to do all of this. You know, we've got to look after our future at the end of the day. We've got to look after our next generation, those next generation of coders and those kids that are going to grow up to think differently and be, you know, the ones that are going to take this industry even further into that land of opportunity. That, that for me, is, is really important. And I don't want money to really be a factor in stopping people doing that, you know. So it's responsibility of businesses to make sure that we support those people at the same time. I'm glad to hear that. And thank you for taking that approach. On your your YouTube channel, and the, I guess the ethos, part of the ethos of Nifty World is kind of educating people. And I know that you highlight a number of promising projects. And my guess is you've made a number of, of and while it's not financial advice, you've made a number of investments in some of the more promising ones that you've seen. So I'm not asking you to uh, recommend a specific NFT, but can you share your thought process for how you evaluate NFTs for people who are, who are hearing this podcast or a live stream seeing it for the first time and saying, you know what, I think I do want to jump into that. How do you yeah. judge what is a good NFT? Okay. So you might think, let's start with the artwork, but I say, no, let's start with the community, right? So my team looks at a project and it is quite funny because what we'll do is on a WhatsApp group is someone will go, we have to invest in this. And then someone else on the team goes, why? Right. Why? Pitch it to me. So it's like it's like Shark Tank every day on our WhatsApp group on our team, because there's so many projects out there. But actually, out of all the projects out there, 99 percent of them will turn to dust and I have invested, you should only invest what you're willing to lose. And when I started in this space, I think I had about, I put about 2000 bucks to one side. And I said, this is my money that I am going to learn from. And if I lose it all, I lose it all, right? And not everyone has 2000 bucks to do that. But that is from my journey from right at the beginning, which I, I made on shares, which I never thought I'd be able to do. <laughs> so I made that on the stock market. And then I thought, what am I going to do with that? I'm going to put it into NFTs and trade it again. Um, and I've lost a lot of a lot of that money. So now the way we look at it is we go straight for the community. We look at what they're doing on Twitter. I have conversations with people, ask them why they're excited about a project. What is it that they're doing that's different? How do you how do you evaluate that? And so then the team goes away and we kind of all start immersing ourselves in this. And it's not something you know, if, if, if a project is minting, which for anyone that doesn't know, minting is the term for a project that is launching. We try and catch a project maybe in the first two or three weeks prior to the mint so that we can really immerse ourselves, not just on Twitter, but on Discord. You understand the roadmap. You understand what they're planning to do, what they're where they're putting their money, where their mouth is, for instance. 
and understanding what they're going to do for us. You know, if you're going to ask me to invest in something, what am I going to get back? What's my return on investment? You can't. And it's so easy for anyone to write a roadmap. You know, it, it, it's it's really difficult for you to kind of really cut the wheat from the chaff in a way, because there are 15 to 20 projects launching every single day. So something needs to stand out. So what we do as a team to try and help the community is we run a Twitter space every Monday where people pitch to us and a panel of experts and they pitch us their 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 project and we bring them up on there. And actually, we've made some investments through that uh, because we've been so impressed by some of them. But but one of the things that I ask them to do when they send me a DM to come up on the stage is I say, what is it that makes your project stand out and why? And I have to really understand that and get to grips with it. You know, have you got a DAO? Are you, you know, have you got a community wallet? What are the things that you guys are doing that is going to give back to the community? What's the access that you're you're getting? Are you just following what the board apes have done and you just replicating that? What is it that, that makes you guys different? I really want to know. And it's very few and far between that something has something different. Mm-hmm. And then up until the point in which I'm going to buy. So I'll, I'll spend days lurking on a Discord or on the Twitter I'll be speaking to people, following the hashtags, seeing what the what the um, the general conversations are. And right up until the 10 minutes before I buy, particularly if something is minting and I've decided to mint it. And I'll talk a little bit in a second about why I don't necessarily buy a mint anymore. Things can change. A sentiment can change within a few minutes before a project launches. And you have to be aware of that. So you have to kind of have your wits about you right up until the moment that you press go and connect your wallet because there are so many factors to consider. You're not just spending your cash on the NFT, you're spending it on gas as well, right? So that's another hundred bucks potentially that you might be throwing down the drain. So you have to be really sure that this is the right investment for you. So now I don't actually mint a project anymore. I do all of that research. I speak to the community, I speak to the creators. I check that a team is fully doxxed because I think that it has got to be the standard now. We need to have people, keeping themselves accountable for for, the, for their projects um, because there's so many things like rug pulls for anyone that doesn't know what that terminology is that's like having the rug pulled from underneath you lots of people can pull out a project and mint it and make up to 1.2 million dollars if not more on a 10,000 piece project and then they can just disappear and you know what there's no accountability for that so it's really important that you you know that you can hold someone accountable if they're going to if they're going to launch a project. So doxing is incredibly important. But now what I do is I, I go on to OpenSea the moment a project is minted. And I did this this morning when gas was low. There was a project that we were interested in as a team. They were minting at 11.30 last night. They actually sold out in 40 minutes. They had some really interesting things to do with them. Like there, there's some breeding capabilities. They're going to be launching jobs in a Web3 jobs as part of the community it's all all this stuff that's that's really positive and then I went on to OpenSea and realized if I pay 0.01 or 2 ethereum more than the mint price because of the gas when it was minting it would balance itself out with the gas being so low in the morning here in the UK so I made more of a strategic decision to guarantee that I could get that and then what you then do is you go and you, if you are able to go on to OpenSea, you find those paper hand people and you actually find a little bit more of a rare trait, maybe, 
as well. So you can sift through it and you can find things that are a, a little bit more of a, a higher end investment for you for the same price as what you've mint. That's a very convoluted way of doing it. I've now told you all my secrets. Um, <laughs> it's, it's actually not something that a lot of other people don't do as well. So it, it, it is kind of the way to do it. My, my advice would, to anyone, though, would be please only spend what you're willing to lose. Please do your own research. Do not listen to influencers. There's a lot of influencers out there that are not declaring that they are getting paid for uh, for projects and they're now being called out on it. I make it a very big thing for me. I never do a paid tweet. I will refuse to do paid tweets. I've been approached for them and I've said, no, that's not something I want to do. I don't think that's healthy for the community, but there are plenty of people out there that do. Please just go and do your research in the Discord, the website, speak to the owners, find them on LinkedIn um, and speak to them on Twitter and find out what makes this project so special. There are projects out there like the Crypto Mori's, which are my my business partner was like, you've got to get on this. I've got a gut feeling. And I was like, you've got a gut feeling. And you're asking me to spend, you know, seven, eight hundred bucks on a gut feeling. And he was like, look at the artwork. It's like cool cats. I think there's something about this. And sometimes you just have to take a punt. And sometimes you just have to trust the people around you. And, and it's a feeling. But that's only if you've got some money to burn. Right. And I wouldn't advise that you do that. I think it's got to be about the utility that it offers or the opportunity as a one-of-one one artist to follow in that as well. So I hope that helps. That was a very, very long way around it. But yeah, um, yeah, exactly. That's that's the kind of main thing that I like to do. Oh, there's a lot that you have to think about when buying an NFT. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, that. That's definitely a gem. You know, the Eat for Life podcast, we call those gems where people come in and bring the, the type of content that you would normally pay a consultant fee for. So what you just shared is a gem, and it's going to be quite valuable to the community here. So, so thank you for doing that. We've got about 15 minutes left. So I wanted to give one more chance if anyone in the audience and the community here wants to ask a question, please raise your hand so I can promote you to the stage. And while we're waiting on that in LinkedIn, if you're, you're still listening there, uh, I did post the link to the Discord in the LinkedIn chat. So click the link, join us here and raise your hand. I'll, I'll add you to the stage. While we're waiting on that, I've got a couple more quick questions. Uh, what are your goals for Nifty World in 2022? So looking into this year and beyond. Ooh. Yeah, so this is this is the big one, right? I think I mentioned earlier that 2021 was a warm-up. Um, it was a warm-up because I was testing so many different things. I was like, do people need the education that I'm going to put out there? Is it necessary? How do we do that? The overall goal is to become the number one trusted educational site for NFTs because I want people to feel like they can come to somewhere that's a safe space. They can ask questions no matter how small they are. Um, and, and, and it's about making sure that that we do that in a way that is expanding to all different types of media. So I talk about the metaverse because I think at the end of 2022, I might go, well, let's finally set up an office in the metaverse so people can actually come and have a consultancy one on one. I want to be able to make sure that Nifty World this year has a solid base, has a way that people kind of has more awareness. I think we're going to get so much more mass adoption this year. And so many people are going to have questions and they need to know that they can go somewhere to find the answers for that. And that will inspire me to make even more content to make sure that we we essentially help develop an educational platform that is sustainable and lasts and expands into all areas of, of crypto as well. Because it's really hard, I think, in some respects to find that that trusted resource. I think lots of people find 
lots of people find investment people who have done crypto for many many years are now moving into nfts and so those who have followed people on those youtube channels are now following them and taking because they taking their word as gospel within the nft community but actually some of those guys as, as knowledgeable as they are are not fully immersed in the nft space and they approach it in a very they only approach it from an investment point of view i want to approach it from a creator point of view i want to approach it from a and a, a buyer's point of view, I want to approach it from someone who wants to do some do work within the NFT space and in Web3 as well. I think we're going to hopefully become a Web3 digital native agency. We're going to be able to serve people from a consultancy side. We're going to be able to serve people who haven't got that money and just want to learn through our editorial side as well. We're going to bring you news. We've got a, we're going to have a website which is going to have like written content as much as it's going to have video content because the, the reason why I haven't got that yet is because I'm desperate to make sure that we implement our .eth website name and not <laughs> make sure that there's no way I'm having a .com website anymore. I mean, like it's not going to work like that. Um, so it's about getting all those ducks in a row and making sure that this year is the year of establishing the, com the company and providing that transparent trusted information and then 2023 is about really making our mark in the metaverse um we've got the land we've got to get ready to build we've got to know what we're going to build we're going to host events we're going to have conferences there we're just going to be somewhere that i think people can find the information that they need about this space about the metaverse about web3 and find it from the people that they know they can trust I'm glad you're taking that approach. I, I talked to one of my colleagues who is an esports native, uh, and and he's still on the fence about getting into crypto. Doesn't quite see where it's going to impact his day to day. And I told him I I appreciate where he is in that journey because while I have a MetaMask wallet, I I don't regularly transact in crypto. And I'm, and again, I'm trying to to do an immersive deep dive in the space now that I have the opportunity. But I explained to him that he could recognize how we didn't used to have the internet as the primary way of doing business. And now we cannot do business without the internet. We couldn't have this conversation without the internet. So inevitably, you know, as we progress into a virtual ecosystem, like you've got to have the ability to do crypto transactions and, and crypto exchanges, not, not trading crypto on a uh, monetary exchange, but like a social exchange. Mm. So, you know, and, and blockchain and crypto and NFTs are going to be the foundation for having those exchanges. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny. I've had conversations with friends of mine who are lawyers, who are mortgage brokers, who are, um, you know, people who work in, in any areas which I think is going to use NFTs in the future. And I said, if you don't understand blockchain, like a very good friend of mine is a, is a lawyer and she says she's been handing off business when someone comes to her about blockchain stuff because she does, she just is too scared to step into it. And I said, if you don't understand this, you're going to become obsolete. You have to get your head around it. And if you do that now, you're going to be ahead of the game and your business will fly as a result because you'll be, you'll be the number one, you know, law, law firm to go to for help with contracts around, you know, around smart contracts or, you know, information that people need in, in certain areas to do with blockchain. And it, it's a complete shift in mindset. But it's, it, it, I can understand people's hesitancy. I can understand why they're nervous about getting into this space. My friend that I mentioned that I went to, my old school friends that I met at a pub um, over Christmas, they said, why, why is crypto 
why is crypto like so popular? Why is it? Why why is everyone kind of bought into this? Because someone says so. That's all it is. It's it's hinged on the fact that someone said that this is the future, and loads of people have jumped on that bandwagon. My response to that was, who do you think started the concept of money? There's got to be. It's tribal. You know, communities would have gone. Oh yeah, that's a good way to trade things, and that's how things start. It's just a different type of property that we're using now. Um, so yeah, we've just got to. <laughs> oh, it does pain me. Like when when you can see the light. And some people really can't. It can be quite a frustrating conversation, which you have to kind of do with a smile on your face through gritted teeth. But hopefully people will come round to it in in the future. And, you know, hopefully there's more people like Marcus and more people like myself that are open to helping, giving those gems um, to to help people understand it a little bit better. Excellent. Excellent. Varun, I know you joined us on the stage. I don't know if you had a question because we've got just about five minutes here. So I want to give you that opportunity. Oh, my goodness. If you can get a rare one, do it. Yeah. I mean, look at the yield that you've just managed to get from that in a matter of hours. This is the crazy thing um, is is that things can change in a matter of hours. I think the difficult, you know, like, wait, I'm going to go back to the Board at Yacht Club because lots of people were saying like, oh, these people who who uh, bought at 200 bucks, you know, back in April and are now 200,000 bucks better off, right? It takes guts to hold on to a project when it is is rising exponentially, right? And it's hitting 10 ETH, 20 ETH, and you're still going, nope, I'm holding, I'm holding, when that can actually change a lot for your life, right? It's really important that you kind of look at things and do what's right for you and do what's right for your your personal situation. If you need to take profit, you take profit. But in terms of rarity, I when whenever I go onto a secondary market um, purchase on OpenSea, you look for rare traits. You do that in the properties, and you spend you take your time to go down the filtering of your um, particular NFT project on something like OpenSea or whatever whatever uh, marketplace you're you're purchasing from. It pays off to do that. You know, normally you'd be looking for something like a zombie or an alien or a robot as the uh, as the, the trait that's going to be something that's super rare, essentially. The idea is, is that everyone's after the rare ones. But if the project itself is strong enough, the floor will rise exponentially anyway um, if it's got that, that opportunity. So if you don't snipe a rare one, like don't despair. You haven't lost out. It really is about more important that you buy into the right project rather than always searching for, for, for the rarities, because you could have the most rare trait ever on a project. And if that project doesn't do any business, there's no point to it. So <laughs> that I, I don't know if that kind of answers your question, but that's kind of my view on, on it is take your time. And, and, and if you can snipe a rare one that's in your price point, absolutely. And I think you're a great example of that. Um, having made an incredible, well, it's it's an incredible investment in the first place. If you're going to spend 21 ETH on a project, you must have really believed in it. Yeah, that's 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 an awesome strategy. I would, I think, beyond that, just to kind of round this off, what I would say is, if you can afford it when you're going into a project, particularly if you're going into a project early, I would suggest that you try and buy more than one, right? So that you have one to hold which is your hodl piece, the piece that, you know, you, you really believe in. You might have one to flip so that you can take those profits and pay yourself back and give yourself a little bit more. And if you're lucky enough or can afford a third one, 
that's the that's your throwaway one right if you need to take quick profits you can do it with the third one if he's starting to see the floor rise um, and you can go wow that's just going to pay me back for my investment i'll do it then you have two more that you can sort of sit on for a little bit longer and then you have that one gem i wish i wish 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 um that i had bought my eights earlier and bought more than one i mean you know but <laughs> we can't win them all and sorry someone just said there's no sound from the audience um I the question yeah the the question on that was around rarity what do i do what what would i advise around getting rare nfts um and, and i hope that kind of answered your question <laughs> mariana thank you for that oh well pleased to have you pleased to have your company thank you so much well, Bex, thank you for sharing gems and helping us gamify everything. Before we close this out, again, if you would just talk about where people can connect with you, um, where they can learn more information. Absolutely. So the number one thing if you want to learn about NFTs is go and look me up on YouTube, which is if you put into the search engine Nifty World NFT, you'll find me. I have a little welcome message. Uh, which you can always watch. And I just that tells you, you definitely are still early. And then I've got lots of information on that channel from how to do your taxes or uh, with NFTs all the way through to learning about the community um, within the NFT space as well. You can also find me on Twitter at Nifty World. And I can always direct you to the YouTube channel from there if you can't find it. And you can also join our Movers and Shakers Twitter space every Monday at 6.30 UK time. That's p.m. Um, which is probably in about a couple of hours from, from now on a Monday, as an example, just for anyone that's listening in live. That will uh, give you guys the opportunity, if you have a project, to get some advice from a panel of experts, um, but also to hear some incredible marketing and um, you know general, uh, I suppose, technology uh, help from lots of different amazing creators that we have on our panel, whether or not you're an artist, a photographer, or a PFP project creator, or you're just looking for that next big investment, we always uh, do that for you. And that's always coupled with a Movers and Shakers video each and every Monday as well, where we put our top analysis and insights into into practice on the YouTube channel, and you get three big projects. We've just um, we've just seen that uh, one of the projects that we put on last week on our Moves and Shakers video has just hit a one ETH floor a week after it's minted, which is incredible. So um, yeah, so I, I'd really love to have your company. If you do find me on YouTube, leave me a comment. I always respond to those and I'm here to help. So either see you guys in the metaverse on Twitter or on my YouTube channel and really appreciate each and every one of you for listening in today. So thank you. And thank you, Marcus. You're welcome. Thank you for your time. Thank you to the Gamify team for making this all possible. Our next episode is going to be on January the 10th, which is a Monday at 7.30 p.m. EST. We'll be welcoming Phil Ranta, who is the CEO of, now I'm blanking on this company. Well, yeah. Phil, Phil was formerly uh, a, in a leadership role at Facebook Gaming. Man, I can't believe I'm blanking on this company. I've got this image in here somewhere. But you, he's really cool, so you definitely want to be here. And then... At some point in the future, like at three o'clock in the morning, I'll remember what company he works for. Anyway, sorry, Phil, you can explain your company on Monday. It's it's awesome. Everyone will enjoy it. Thank you for your time. Don't forget that the token launch is going to be on January 18th, um, two Monday, two Tuesdays from now. And well, it might be Wednesday, depending on where you live, but January 18th on both Launch Pool and on PancakeSwap. So thank you all for that. We look forward to helping you gamify everything and we'll see you next week. Cheers. <laughs>